All right, friends. Well, we're going to begin. I'm going to open our time in prayer and then explain briefly the plan for today and then give the address and do a little Q&A and we'll be out of here. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that's already occurred this Lord's Day in the assembly. We thank you most of all for Christ and what he's done for us. Continue to give us grace that our hearts might burn as we consider the scriptures and what they have revealed about him. And we thank you for your sacraments that you have given us for our good and that you have given us for our faith. And so we pray that you would bless this time as we think about baptism together. And we pray it would be encouraging and we pray it would be clarifying. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the plan for today is I'm going to give an address, a, a talk. This is not a sermon. This is more just me teaching on baptism. I'll kind of give you headers as we go through that. After I'm done giving the address, we'll take like a super brief intermission, just enough time for us to slide this backward. We'll put three chairs up here and we'll do a brief time of Q&A with the elders if there are questions that you guys would like to be able to ask us pointedly about baptism. Um, so that's the plan. As far as just by way of introduction, a few comments to make um, and just some things for you to be aware of. So the elders have a position paper on baptism and its administration at CBC. So if you're interested in reading that, um, getting your hands on that, let us know. We'll happily email you that, that PDF and you can have it for your use. Another thing I would say, just by way of trying to love other people, obviously not that many people have stayed for this. It's fine. Um, if there are questions about baptism that arise, I would encourage people to ask us for a copy of the paper and also encourage people to listen to the audio that is being recorded today. So do that. That'll serve your pastor as well. And of course, we're happy to talk about anything you want to talk about. All right. So let's go ahead and, and get on with this. Introductory comments here. Theologically defined, baptism is a secondary matter of doctrine. And just really quickly what I mean by that. In terms of doctrinal categories, oftentimes Christians, helpfully, have distinguished doctrine into various categories of importance, issues of primary doctrine or primary matters of doctrine, as they are so-called, are things that we need to agree on and believe to be Christians. Like Historically speaking, Christians must affirm these things. Those are primary issues of doctrine. A secondary issue of doctrine, rightly defined, would mean, in part, that a group of Christians need to agree on this matter of doctrine in order to have a church together. Now, Christians historically may have different views on a secondary matter of doctrine, but to have a church together, we need to agree on it. A tertiary matter of doctrine, third tier, would be something that Christians in the same church can happily disagree on. Does that make sense? We're tracking together. So baptism, theologically defined, is a secondary matter of doctrine. It means, in part, that a group of Christians need to agree on what it is in order to have a church together. To a significant, though lesser extent, Christians in the same church need to agree on particular matters pertaining to how baptism is administered. There would at least need to be in a local church, a shared understanding of how the elders would administer the sacrament and a willingness to abide by that and submit to that without causing division in the body. So the elders, as I've already said, have written a paper on this matter with our guiding thoughts on how we seek to administer baptism here at CBC. And that paper is largely the substance of this address. Now, the goal today in the comments that I'm going to make, is not to set forth our view of baptism at great depth or length. That's not the goal. Nor is it a defense of credo baptism over and against pedo baptism. That's not the goal. 
So let's just begin, though, with some high-level thoughts about the sacrament of baptism itself until we move into more particular matters pertaining to our local body. I want to begin with how the elders understand baptism, the sacrament, what it is, what it signifies, because that then drives how it would be administered. Let's consider some scripture. You can jot these down if you're the kind of individual that likes to do that. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5 reads this way. All of these texts listen for the principle and the truth of union with Christ, because in short, the elders of this church understand that baptism is about our union with Jesus. Romans 6, 3 to 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In union with Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. Galatians three twenty-seven. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Get baptized into him, union with him, you have put him on. That's what baptism is about. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Colossians 2, 11 through 15. In him, that's in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Again, union with Christ, the circumcision of Christ. We've been buried with him. We've been raised with him. It's the powerful working of God. That's what baptism is significant of. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts 2 and verse 38. This is Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost. When they ask, what must we do in order to be saved, in order to be reconciled to God? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him, that is in Christ also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Acts 22 and verse 16, this is the apostle Paul, again, giving instruction to people who are concerned about their reconciliation with God. Paul says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. In sum, so just some summary comments on those passages, those verses that have been read. Baptism is the sign of our union with Christ by faith. 
Baptism is the sign of our having been united with Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. Baptism is the sign of our being raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. Baptism is the sign of the remission of our sins. Baptism is the sign of our having been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And baptism is the sign of God's pledge to keep us unto salvation. Now, a few comments on the sacraments in general. And by the sacraments, I mean baptism and the Lord's Supper. The sacraments in our understanding, which is a a reformed and a confessional understanding, the sacraments are primarily about God's faithfulness to us, not our faithfulness to him. They are primarily the sacraments, baptism and the table, are about the object of our faith, Jesus, not our faith itself. Does that make sense? The primary purpose of the sacraments is to signify, from a covenantal perspective, our participation in the covenant of grace. And thereby, the purpose of the sacraments is to signify our peace with God. The secondary purpose of the sacraments is to be a marker of our public profession of faith. Right? Oftentimes, that's somewhat inverted in the way it's presented. The sacraments in, in many churches, with the best of intentions, that's inverted, where the main purpose seems to be our public profession of faith, and secondarily, maybe this other stuff. Whereas from a Reformed confessional perspective that our elders have, we want to maintain always that the sacraments, first and foremost, are about God's faithfulness to us, his promises to us, his pledge to us, about the object of our faith, who is Christ, and secondarily is about our public profession. God, in other words, has given us the sacraments for our benefit. Right? The sacraments were made for man, right? Not man for the sacraments. I mean, we could say that. They were given to us for our good. The Lord, in his kindness, knowing that we need to be nourished and encouraged in the ways that we do, gave us baptism in the table. The language on baptism in particular of the 1689 London Baptist Confession, particularly in chapter 29, paragraph 1, supports this understanding of the sacraments primarily being about God's faithfulness to us. The clear emphasis of that paragraph on baptism in the confession is how baptism points us away from ourselves to our union with Christ and the promise of forgiveness. So there's a reason why, for example, if you talk with the pastors much, And we talk at all about assurance, and we talk about how the sacraments are a piece of God's kindness to us to assure us. We often use the language of remember your baptism, because we look back to that sign that we received as the sign of all of these wonderful things of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ and the pledge of God to save us. We'll talk more on that perhaps later. John Calvin, just again, thinking about the sacraments in these terms, John Calvin defined a sacrament as, quote, an outward sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences the promises of his goodwill toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith, close quote. That's from the Institutes of the Christian Religion, book four, chapter 14. Baptism, in other words, is God's promise to us in physical form the promise that we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and it is given to us by God for our benefit. It's important that we realize in baptism, we do not do anything for God that he needs. Far from it. Baptism is not something we do for God. It is something that God does for us. We are passive in baptism. There's a reason we say we are baptized. It is something done to us. We receive it. 
just like we receive the whole of salvation. And then God, in his goodness and his mercy, works through baptism to nourish and strengthen our faith. So this is part of what we mean in using the language of the ordinary means of grace. He does the same thing in the Lord's table. What's cool about baptism is the faith of the individual being baptized, yes, strengthened. We look back on that one day and we are recalling the promises of God to us and our union with Christ. But the entirety of the congregation as we witness a baptism are also encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ and our own union with him and our own baptism. We're recalling these things together. Big thing, while merely being baptized does not save anyone, that doesn't mean that the meaning or the power of baptism lies in our response. So it's important. The power and significance of baptism are derived completely from Christ and the gospel. The power and the significance of baptism, in other words, do not come from faith, but actually are given by God for our faith to sustain it and strengthen it. This understanding of baptism that I've just outlined is historically reformed, it's covenantal, and it is not unique to the elders of CBC. The reason that we've begun with all of this, just to be crystal clear in our time today, is that our understanding of baptism will necessarily reflect how we think it should be administered and how we consider baptismal candidates. So next header in my outline, just for you as you're tracking with me, what we look for in any baptismal candidate. What we look for in any baptismal candidate. All right, so the summary sentence is this. In any baptismal candidate, we are looking for a sincere profession of faith in Christ. In any baptismal candidate, we are looking for a sincere profession of faith in Christ. Now, the word sincere is used intentional rather than the word credible. Those words are different. This is because we are seeking to determine if a person genuinely means to trust Christ for salvation rather than seeking proof that a person trusts Christ. That difference matters. Now, the sincere profession of faith will mean that the candidate understands something of God's law, understands something of her own sin that renders her a lawbreaker, as well as her inability to do what God requires for righteousness. So any baptismal candidate needs to be able to answer the question, why do you need Jesus? And be able to give clear answers to that question. And at the bottom of it, we are looking to determine, here's the watershed, right? We're looking to determine, is this individual trusting Christ for righteousness and forgiveness of sins, or is this individual trusting something else? That last piece is really the heart of the matter. Who or what are you trusting? As has been said, we believe baptism is received by faith and is given by God to us as a means of his grace to strengthen and sustain faith. And while we do believe that an individual's profession of faith needs to be sincere, he means to trust Christ for salvation, we do not believe that a person needs to prove the legitimacy of his faith over a period of time in order to be deemed a legitimate recipient of the sacrament of baptism. From our perspective, there is no biblical warrant for such a practice. So our position is that it seems far better to us to baptize a person based upon a sincere profession of faith and trust the Lord to use the ordinary means of grace and the fellowship of the saints to keep him over the course of a lifetime. This seems to square with scripture, and it squares also with a reformed covenantal view of baptism. 
So another thought from our pastors on this that is significant to us. Baptism is one of the means that God uses to strengthen and sustain faith. We've already been clear about that. Thus, it should not be withheld from our perspective until a person is able to prove his or her faith over a long period of time. That will be borne out. I mean, to prove one's faith is borne out over a lifetime anyway. And if we are really worried about someone's faith, why would we withhold something that could strengthen and sustain that faith? That's our reasoning. The presence, and at the end of the day, the presence of any sincere faith in Jesus is evidence of regeneration. It's evidence of the new birth. Because any faith is not of our own doing. Any faith is a gift of God and therefore deems a person a worthy recipient of the sacrament of baptism. Now, important note. Of course, if the individual in question begins to demonstrate obstinate, hard-hearted, unrepentant sin down the road after his or her baptism, the church is to practice discipline. The Lord has given us that mechanism. And we'll be talking about church discipline more even next year. We have plans for a pastoral address on church discipline in January. Just for us to think well about it, what it is, what it's for, what it's not, all of those things, the purpose of it. It's a restorative means and measure. We seek to be thoughtful as elders. We seek to be thoughtful in our evaluation of baptismal candidates. And at the same time, we do not want to erect unnecessary barriers to entry for those who mean to trust Jesus. Next header, the baptism of young people, the baptism of young people. All right, so any Credo Baptist church, any church that practices believer's baptism, that aims to be responsible in its administration of the sacrament of baptism must thoughtfully consider how to administer baptism to younger people. It should be noted that a paedo-baptist position, infant baptism position, does not eliminate the need for thoughtful consideration of young people when it comes to the sacraments. In a paedo-baptistic church, the often agonizing question for them is not when to baptize, but it's when to admit to the table because you need to be confirmed. That's true for Presbyterians and capital R Reformed Church folks. That's true for Lutherans. There's a confirmation that must occur. For us, we're, we're answering and asking that same question really at the same time because in our understanding, when one is baptized into membership in the church, one is a communing member, a communicant member of the church. So consider the landscape with me for just a minute of Baptistic churches in our context and various practices that exist out there. First thing that we would want to say is that the practice of many Baptist churches over recent decades is lamentable to us, particularly churches of the Southern Baptist Convention, many of them. This would include, these lamentable practices would include mass baptisms, spontaneous baptisms, fill the tank Sundays, in the seemingly flippant way that even very young children are baptized with regularity. That is lamentable to us, the way that that's done. The damage of these practices is only exacerbated by the fact that they usually occur in a church where there is not sound law and gospel preaching, and there is also not a real understanding of meaningful church membership, nor is membership practiced in a faithful way. So when you combine flippancy with respect to the sacrament a lack of law and gospel preaching, and just no practice of meaningful church membership, damage is done. And that is lamentable and concerning to the elders of CBC. 
There are no doubt a number of people who have been deceived by the irresponsible administration of baptism at the hand of Baptist churches. People who have been baptized at one time when they were a kid, you know, or it was at a camp meeting or it was at some revival or it was, you know, they had a fire truck up on the stage, whatever it is, and they were baptized and then later on in life have no concerns for the things of God. But I was baptized one time. And what do I do with that? A lot of, a lot of damage, a lot of harm. And we certainly want to guard against such irresponsible and harmful practices. Another line of thinking, a thoughtful, considerate line of thinking, often occurs among some of our Calvinistic Baptist friends. And I would say Calvinistic, they may not be covenantal like CBC, might not be you know, confessional like CBC, but Calvinistic Baptist brothers and sisters. Some in that stream hold off on baptizing, baptizing people excuse me, until they reach adulthood. 18, 21 years old. Sometimes it's 18, sometimes 21. The age is really irrelevant. For churches that take this approach, exceptions, of course, can be made, yet it's highly unusual for a person under 18 to ever be baptized. And the reasoning from that perspective goes this way. It's thoughtful, right? It's well-intentioned. Baptism needs to be administered thoughtfully and only to those who have made a credible profession of faith in Jesus. If a child is raised in a Christian home and in the church, there could be any number of reasons he might profess faith in Christ that are illegitimate. These reasons could include the approval of parents. They could include the accrual of social capital with others in the church, etc. And so in order to legitimately evaluate the profession of faith of a child raised in a Christian home and in the church, we as the church need to wait until she feels the pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil which in the minds of many does not really occur until the child goes out on her own. Alongside this is the concern to not deceive young people into thinking they're Christians when they may not be, which would occur through prematurely or illegitimately baptizing them. So this is just kind of a side note along these lines. This has become an even more heightened concern of contemporary Calvinistic Baptists due to the prevalence of easy believism and nominal Christianity that have resulted from bad doctrine and practice in many Baptistic churches. So this is a heightened concern in the last, let's say, 30 years. The reasoning here is that we are saved by faith and not baptism. Because if the objection were raised in a church that thought that way, well, should, is it not bad that we're withholding baptism from people who are legitimately trusting Christ, sincerely meaning to trust Christ? The answer to that typically is that we are saved by faith and not baptism, which is true. And it is better to discourage a few than to deceive many. It's better to discourage a few. Those who are regenerate and have baptism withheld from them, it's better to discourage those few than to deceive the many who were prematurely or illegitimately baptized. And so because of the potential for deception, we should err on the side of caution and withhold baptism until a young person becomes an adult and can thereby demonstrate credible, and sufficient evidence of his or her conversion. That's the reasoning. So that's some of what exists out there, kind of two, I don't want to call them extremes, but you understand what I mean. There's this position and this position. As far as CBC is concerned, when it comes to the children and young people of CBC, the elders seek to thoughtfully engage them when they make professions of faith in Christ. We aim to be anything but flippant as it regards their baptism. That said, we see many, excuse me, we see the practices of many of, in particular, the 
We've already talked about how lamentable the one is, but even with respect to our Calvinistic Baptist friends who withhold baptism, we see those to be grounded, those practices to be grounded more in prudence that is driven by human logic and thinking more than it is driven by Scripture. And we, for our part, want to be driven by Scripture and not prudence. We want to land in Scripture, not prudence. So these practices of withholding baptism until adulthood are not explicitly taught in Scripture, nor are they necessarily inferred from the clear teaching of Scripture. Now, in saying this, I want to be super clear. We do not impugn the motivations of any of our brothers and sisters who think this way. We trust the motivations are really good. Speaking for our church, thinking from a Reformed covenantal perspective, our children, even before they profess faith in Jesus, are raised within the context of the covenant community of the church. Theologically defined, our children, before they profess faith, before they're baptized, are external participants in the covenant of grace. External, you understand what I mean by that. Because God is faithful to us, because he works through the ordinary means of grace in the church, because he works through the prayers of his people, and because he works through the corporate witness of the church, parents at CBC should expect their children to come to faith in Christ. To be clear, we don't presume upon God. It's not presumption. But we expectantly hope in him to bring our kids to faith, even as we seek to bring them up into what we do here. So it's important. When our children sincerely profess faith, then, a burden for us as leaders is to answer the question, why would we withhold baptism and thereby the Lord's table from them? Why would we deprive them of means the Lord has given them for the sustaining and strengthening of their faith if our concern is for their faith? So in short, there is no age requirement for baptism at CBC. That's kind of the high-level statement. There's no age requirement. Now, here's an important note. We do anticipate the baptism of children younger than what we might call late grade school. We anticipate the baptism of children younger than that to be very rare. The reason for that is simple. I mean, there's a number that it could be listed, but some of this is just simple human cognitive development, right, and an ability to process. Not the children younger than that, cannot trust in the Lord Jesus, but we too want to be responsible in how we try to evaluate these things. This matters, excuse me, let me say this, let me say this first. There are also, like not only is there not an age requirement for baptism here at this church, it's important that we say this too. There are also not different classes of membership here. So it's not as though we have, like, you're a full-fledged, full-blown member here, and then for children or other people, there's, like, something like an associate membership or whatever. We don't do that. This matters because to be baptized is to become a member of the church. Baptism and church membership go together. We're baptized into the church as internal participants in the covenant of grace. So therefore, any child who is going to be baptized is also going to be submitting himself to the doctrine, oversight, and discipline of the church. That's very important. It's important that the child, the young person, understands this, and it's very important that the child's parents understand this. So a thoughtful objection that might be raised, an argument that is made on the part of some of our thoughtful Baptist friends is that baptism should be withheld from children because they are unable to fulfill the requirements of church membership as outlined by a church covenant. 
We have a church covenant here. There are things that we have in that covenant that we commit to do and how we commit to live for one another. Those things are outlined. And some will raise that objection. Well, can a young, can a 12-year-old, can a 14-year-old really do that? And our answer is that a child or a young person can legitimately fulfill the requirements of church membership as is appropriate for a person at her station in life. So track with me. An example that some will raise. Well, in a, in a church covenant, we have language about financially supporting the ministry. How is a young person, how is a 12-year-old going to do that? To which we would say, well, I mean, you know, what he or she may do with money that he or she may have, that's a secondary conversation. Our answer would be that that child is going to fulfill that commitment in the church covenant to support the ministry financially by proxy through her household giving financially to the church. This is no different, I mean, track with me, this is no different than for an adult member who is married to the household's sole breadwinner. You don't make the money in your house, let's say, you're married to the person who does, but your household gives to the church. You as an adult are, even though it's not technically money that you have made, you as a household are giving to support CBC, and we would trust that the same thing is going to occur with respect to a child, and we trust that that 12-year-old is taught by mom and dad about what it means to give financially to the church. We, as the whatever family, give to support the work of the ministry, and you are involved in this. So what will this look like? What would this look like? And to be super clear, this is not a change in trajectory. I just want to make that plain. This is how we've always operated here. I just know that there's a lot of new people at the church, the elders know, that there is so much turnover in the membership. The last time we gave a talk like this was in the first year of our church's existence to outline this practice. And so it seems wise to us to do this periodically. So what does this look like? What will this look like? And you guys, you guys have seen, you know, even our membership roster. I mean, those of you who are members here, it's, and I think our youngest members are teenagers. I mean, so it's not as though we are running off and, and saying that we're going to start baptizing a bunch of small children. We don't, I don't want to be misunderstood in that way. So our counsel, like, what do we want to do? How do we want to practice this? Our counsel to parents always has been, when your child is professing faith, be thoughtful, be patient. This is even more necessary the younger a child is. We encourage parents to have regular conversations with their child over the course of an extended season. It is important that parents gauge the persistence of their child's profession of faith in Christ as well as their thoughts and desires pertaining to baptism and church membership. So you want to talk about this not one time, and then bring it to the elders. You want to be talking about this over a seasons of time. It's good to regularly ask a professing child questions like, why do you need Jesus? Why do you want to be baptized? Why do you want to be a member of the church? Because all of these things go together. Talk through those things. Reason with your children. These questions spark conversations about the gospel, about the meaning of baptism, about the nature of church membership. And so after parents have been talking with their child for a period of time, the elders are also happy to begin meeting with the parents and the child in question. As to the number of these meetings and the duration of time over which they occur, it's case by case. There's no formulaic approach to this. And at some point in the process, if interest persists, if the profession is persistent on the case of a young person, we encourage them to take meaningful membership class, the same ones that all of you who are members have taken. We encourage parents to attend that class with their kids. This helps you to engage them on a number of levels. 
on the content of the class, etc. And then when it seems good to the child, good to the parents, good to the elders that have been involved in talking this through for a season of time, the next step, of course, would be for a child to do a membership interview with a couple of the pastors. And we think it's wise to have more than one elder present for an interview like this. For that interview, our practice has always been that mom or dad or mom and dad can be generally present, but not immediately so. So for example, in our current church office context, mom and dad would sit in the lobby where we would do the interview with the child at our conference table in the back portion of the office, just so that we are able to talk and engage this young person like we would any other baptismal candidate or any other candidate for membership. Once the membership interview is completed, the regular process of elder deliberation, elder recommendation, and congregational affirmation would ensue. So that's pretty straightforward. Concluding remarks. We're about done. At CBC, we seek to be driven by Scripture and our doctrine and practice, either by the explicit language of Scripture or by clear and necessary inference. And based on Scripture, we've outlined even today some of our views of baptism from a covenantal perspective. We've outlined a Reformed view of the sacraments, and that is the position of our pastors. And this is significant for every member of our church. It's encouraging. Like, leave here today as you think about baptism. It is encouraging that our baptism is about God's faithfulness to us to save us. We all look back to our baptism for strength, for encouragement, and for the reminder that we have, in fact, been united to Christ. Like, there we were at one point in the past, meaning to trust Christ, and here we are today trusting Him. And we have not produced that in ourselves. He has done that. So our understanding of baptism no doubt affects how we talk about it, how we talk with and evaluate any baptismal candidate in our midst. And final statement, just by way of putting a bow on it, our posture with any person that sincerely professes faith in Christ is to baptize that individual as a sign of his union with Christ by faith and then allow the Lord to use the means of grace in the context of life in the church to keep him. So that's it for my comments. So what we're going to do is take, Mackenzie and Rob, you guys can go ahead and come forward. We're going to take like a 60 to 120 second intermission right here. And we're going to put chairs up here and we're going to grab mics and we'll just open it up for some Q&A. Anything you want to ask, we're happy to talk about. And we will end this when it seems appropriate to do so. We will not be here all afternoon. Ask questions that are, you think, of a general interest that other people would be interested to hear the answer to. But if it's a sincerely held question, don't leave it unasked. This is the opportunity for that. All right, Tommy, I think Mackenzie's still got his lapel on, and then Rob's got his singing mic. Good grief. A lot of popping. Yep. All right. Okay. Now that we're set up, any questions, comments, thoughts, anything? You can just kind of raise your hand. We'll try to identify it. If, if it's not... Substantial in volume, we'll try to repeat the question. When we'll sit, if there are no questions, then we'll sit here awkwardly for two, three minutes and, uh, and we'll be done, I suppose. Okay, 
We'll go right, my right, left, Eddie, Sandy, and then was it Mary Beth? No, Chris. All right, so we'll go Eddie, Sandy, Chris. Great. Written. So I, I am happy. We don't, we have not published it in any way. Um, it's possible that we may start putting some of our elder position papers on our website. We may. Um, at a minimum, though, all you need to do is email me, Mackenzie, or Rob. But since we're in the office during the week, email one of the two of us. We'll happily get it to you. Yep. Sandy. So the, we had the position of our elders in terms of how we administer baptism, no age requirement, that kind of thing, has always been the practice. We gave a talk on that in 2016. It was, I think, December of 2016. And I've got the notes from that talk. The paper, though, has been more recently written just to outline this more formally for us in perpetuity, for it to serve as a guide for this matter. Because we, we, in thinking about it, you, know, you, you don't do everything at once, obviously, as you start a church and... But now that the church has been established and matured, and we've given this address before, we see how the church is growing, there's turnover in the membership, et cetera. It seems wise to have a paper that will then serve as the guiding paper moving forward. So the paper is written in the last year. The thoughts contained within it are not new, certainly not new to me. And the thoughts, the viewpoint, whatever, outline in said paper is what we envision serving our church moving forward. Does that answer your question, Sandy? Great. Chris. Um, so you talked a little bit about Sure. Yeah, you can use that term. It's not a thing. Yeah. And I can talk about that. Right. 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 And does not, like the church, like there's no evidence of, of generation, there's nothing there. Yeah. And, you know, they're 20, out of the goodness of grace, they're Would you back? Yeah. I can speak first, and then if you guys want to say sure. anything. Um, so, Rebaptism is the term you use. And I know, Chris, I know you and I have talked about this. I know you agree. We're only baptized once. And so you might have gotten wet the first time, but it, you weren't baptized, right? So that's how we would answer that question on the one hand. So our posture, though, because it's a real thing. Like people, adults come to us wanting to join CBC, and we ask as a part of the membership interview, tell us about your baptism. And there are many who say, well, you know, I was baptized at 8, or I was baptized at 11, or I was baptized whatever. And like, I don't, I just don't know. Like I had no interest in the things of God moving forward. Um, my life looked like hell and yeah. And then in 25, I think I trusted Christ legitimately. And, and then, you know, I had to think about things and I've not been baptized again, but what should I do? That's a common question. So our, again, encouragement to people is reflect back on that time and ask yourself the question, were you sincerely meaning to trust the Lord Jesus? You know, because God's sheep stray, right? I mean, that's, that's just the fact of the matter. And so are you a straying sheep who was converted 
who has come back to the fold, or was that a false profession and now you are being, you know, you're legitimately converted at 25? I mean, only the Lord knows that, one. But that's why we always point people back to, did you, do you think that you meant to trust Christ? And if people tell us yes, our general encouragement is what I said in the talk. You meant to trust him then. Here you are trusting him today. There's been a lot that's happened between now and then, but praise the Lord that he sustained your faith and that you still sit here meaning to trust Christ for salvation. But we often leave that up to the individual's conscience. If the individual says, I know I wasn't meaning to trust Jesus. I know. I had no understanding of the law and the gospel. And I got, I got baptized because everybody was doing it, or it was at some exciting you know, revival meeting. Uh, and I just don't think it was legit. Then we're going to say, well, then listen to your conscience in that regard, and we'll happily baptize you for the first time in that sense, you know, with you meaning to trust the Lord. Um, that's, the, that's the general answer. And that testimony is common, and that's a result of some of that lamentable practice that we talked about where people are baptized Sometimes the day they profess faith, and in, even in saying we don't, we don't ask people to prove their faith over a season of time, that by no means should be understood to say that we're just going to baptize people the, the day they tell us that they trusted Jesus. We're going to have conversations about that and evaluate that profession and, and the like. You guys, add anything that you want there because yeah, how that, you've talked with people about it. Yeah, and there's a difference, too, between someone who goes to a church camp, is baptized, and is just sure. it isn't even a part of the church at all after that. Yeah. And they come to you with this uh, testimony of, I'm not sure, where uh, someone being raised in church and just having a lack of assurance because they're looking at their life or, you know, is that's different to me in terms yeah. of when, when you're asking someone, do you think that you're meaning to trust Christ? So it's like I was raised in the church. I was, the church baptized me. I mean, I'm going to take... Uh, that's that's huge, right? If a church pastors looked at you and you said you trusted, they baptized you, and you're just having a lack of assurance, or uh, you know, yeah, you were baptized at a church camp, and you know you weren't out of you you just weren't a part of the church. Maybe your family weren't Christians, uh, and when you backtrack and you're thinking, well, I think I was meaning to trust Christ, uh, or it's like I, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm probably going to encourage that person to. To, to, like he said, lean into your conscience. If you think you were, uh, then yeah, you're here today and you, you still trust him. Um, but if they're just, you know, adamant, like have no clue, then I, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, but my point in saying everything I just mumbled was whether they're raised in the church or not, after that baptism is huge. Yeah. One thought from me that was sparked by what he said, in thinking about our, you know, a covenantal reform view of baptism and how we talk about the sacraments, I am inclined to think that an individual who reflects back on her life or his life, it's like, you know, I'm not sure that I was, that I was a Christian, but I think I meant to be. Uh, my life's been up and down since then. I'm going to lean heavily upon the faithfulness of God in having kept that individual, right? Because of the fact that our God is a covenant-keeping God. And yeah, you, as imperfectly as it may have been, you knew you needed Jesus, and you were baptized as a sign of your union with him. And the Lord has kept you through many trials you know, and many storms and all those things. And yet here you are trusting the Lord. And that is not of your own doing. You know, it's something that he has done. And so that's why we err definitely in that direction. Remember your baptism. Remember God's faithfulness to you. But if you are just adamant, there's no way I was a Christian, then we'll happily baptize you. Rob, any other? No, thoughts? just that the benefits of baptism are for believers, you know, the sign yeah. of um, union with Christ by faith, 
uh, the newness of life, the death and resurrection, you know, the sign of sure. resurrection of Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, and God's pledge to keep us unto salvation. There was no regeneration uh, at the point of baptism, and none of that took place. Sure. Right? So we understand that to not be baptism. You know, kind of right. like you said before, it's just you got wet, but, you know, if later on you trust Christ, then, you know, baptism should follow. Right. Then even if you participated in a baptism event at some point. Yeah. Chris, I don't know if that spoke to your question yeah. decently. All right, Blake. Yeah, uh, can you kind of piggyback on Sam's question? Yeah. Um, in order to be an elder of the church, would you have to affirm this particular position or potentially one day if there's 10 elders? Right. Could one be, hey, I'm actually a lot more kind of Calvinistic, prudential, yeah. but I still be a part of the church? I just. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to make a very high level comment first and then speak to your question second. I mean, in a general sense, on, on high level matters of doctrine and philosophy of ministry, the elders have to be united in mind. That's clear. When it comes to the administration, like I would, I would say the high level view of the sacrament in terms of, and just sacraments in general, of that, you know, being about God's faithfulness to us and not our faithfulness to Him primarily. They're given to nourish and strengthen faith. Secondary purpose is our profession, etc. Those things matter most when it comes to this. In terms of particular thoughts about the administration of the sacrament, there will need to be a unity of practice amongst the pastors as far as whether we would require an elder to affirm everything that has been stated on this stage is not something that we have talked at length about because we know that that's something we're going to deal with on a case by case basis. As we talk through this, there's no formal like written down policy on what extent of unanimity there would have to be on the administration of the sacrament. The view of it would matter. Um, would all the elders have to be in unity of mind about how old a person needs to be? I think that's something we could discuss. The elders need to present a unified front in all matters, and that means not just with respect to this issue, but a number of issues. There may be disagreement at the, amongst the elders, but we come to either just a simple majority or a unified consensus and then present that to the congregation. I assume that it's very possible that there could be an elder who is in the minority who is like, yeah, I don't know that I feel good about baptizing this 13-year-old, to use your example, but I'm okay and willing to trust the wisdom, the collective wisdom of the elders, and am happy to present this as my own, you know, and practice this um, without creating any sort of division. I think that's possible. Uh, we would just have to talk through that on a case-by-case -case basis. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, I, I want you guys to ask. Baptizing, um, you know, minors, if you will. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
someone's not being raised in yeah. uh, a healthy church it's a great question. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to speak to it and say, do you guys have thoughts on the first part as, uh, as fellow com- elders? Like, yeah, my only comment was uh, agree with you and uh, really highlighting the without causing division. Yeah, yeah. As long as you, yeah, it's like we can we can differ, but at the end of the day, we're gonna you know agree. Mm-hmm. And if I feel differently, I'm not gonna you know run around telling people that I'm the different one. Right. You know, and I disagree with them, but we're just going to do it anyway. Right. You know, uh, it's right. going to be us. We right. have agreed. Um, yeah. I think that's the key to, yeah. No, in agreement, nothing okay. Yeah, I mean, I think, Blake, your question about what if, what if a, a teenager at CBC brings a friend? Uh, I think in some ways, and this is where I think there's agreement even between us, and let's, let's label it the more Calvinistic Baptist view. I think children who are not raised in a Christian home are actually a simpler conversation. For many people, because there's not that accrual social capital issue. I'm not pleasing mom and dad by professing faith in Jesus. In fact, it's probably going to be awkward. It's going to cost me more, obviously, if I'm a teenager of non-believing parents. And if I don't have like a friend set where everybody's a Christian and I haven't just been kicking it with people in the church my whole life. And now all of a sudden at 15, I have decided that Jesus is the Christ and I need him and I'm a sinner and I stand condemned apart from him. Um, I think for many people, that's a simpler decision, but it would still be one that would be approached with wisdom, thoughtfulness, take our time. You, you profess faith. Okay, let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about the law. Let's talk about your understanding of these things and, and assess that, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important to understand that it's like, if we're going to baptize someone, we need to make sure that if they're not going to be a member here, maybe we should, where, where is a church near you? And we need maybe connect that person with other pastors because primarily uh, be baptized into the church. Right. So it would be very careless and irresponsible if we baptized a girl and then it's just like, or the, the boy. And, and we generally would not do that. Just a friend. Yeah, we wouldn't do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's a key too. It's just like if, if we were going to, yeah. I guess that was kind of the understood as far in terms of membership. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, almost with almost no exceptions. If we're baptizing somebody, they're becoming a member of CBC. The only exception to that would maybe be a hypothetical case of this person's from out of town. They're here for a period of time, extended season. They're moving away, but they think they've been converted under our ministry while they've been here. I mean, you could come up with something yeah. and we would baptize them with the understanding that they're going to be joined with, another gospel preaching church in due time. But yeah. Rob, do you have thoughts on that? Like the, I was trying of, to think of the uh, experiences I've had with folks that got saved as teenagers yeah. and uh, by their parents were unbelievers. And you know, the, the church has always just rallied around them, you know, try to incorporate them as much as possible to the, to the life within church. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes parents don't want them to come to church anymore. So navigating all that and as much as possible, I'll teach them, um, uh, uh, about the Word of God, about the doctrine, mm-hmm. let him experience you know, the yeah. body of Christ. And in time, you know, the, yeah. the baptism, you know, peace will come up. Yeah. It, I mean, and where this becomes precarious, and I'm going to mean to be thoughtful in how I say this, uh, and this is where the church discipline piece is important. Um, for the teenager who's a member of CBC, we all know what it's like to be a teenager, and we all know the things that you do, you do, I think, experience a lot of the pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil as an adolescent and, and as a teenager, as a high school student, whatever. And uh, that's where the fact that becoming a member means that the, the minor, the young person, is submitting to the doctrine, discipline, or oversight of the church. 
and the parents are doing the same, that matters a lot. You know, if, if a teenager is in some kind of immoral sexual relationship, um, and, and the elders in the church come, you know, and say, this is not okay. Then, you know, depending on the posture of that individual, there are things that may have to be, to be dealt with, you know, in terms of their membership and their standing and things. And, and that's, that's what we would be standing by and doing this as well is that we are going to faithfully seek to pastor and the church is going to watch over the minor, just like it does the adult and the minor and the minor's parents guardians are submitting to the discipline of the church in the matters. So, you know, yeah, just a thought. Blake, does that, does that answer your questions? Yeah. Speak to them anyway. Other questions, thoughts, comments, Chelsea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we're trying to communicate to them, they're now specifically we're not waiting to be approved, but they want to know why can't I do that? Right. What do you call that? Sure. Do you guys want to go first? I'm, I don't need to speak first in every question. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, you mentioned some of this in the paper. Um, when it comes down to it, we're trying to be wise and, uh, the important piece to know is that the Lord acts directly on the soul. And so our kids will be saved because the Lord is faithful. Uh, we don't think baptism regenerates. So, our, you know, and part of that is a comfort in that, like, this baptism doesn't, um, isn't, you know, it, like, if, if, you get, if you don't get baptized, you're not saved, right? So there's, a, there's comfort in that. And then also it's like, we want to we be wise. We want you to really know you know, what's going on. And so when, when we baptize you and as you grow up, you're going to remit, you, you don't remember regeneration, right? None of us remember the spirit working on our heart. Like we don't see it. So maybe we feel it. And there was this wooing and mm-hmm. stuff, but they remember that baptism. They remember that time mm-hmm. in life. And so as they grow old, they remember like, yeah, apparently, right. I don't remember. I was young, but apparently there was a time where I, I didn't care about Jesus. And all of a sudden I needed him. And the church confirmed that, and they baptized me into him. And now I look back to my baptism as God's faithfulness that when I was little, I, I was convicted, and I trusted him. And the church saw that and confirmed that, and my baptism represents that. And so it's like uh, just because you're not getting baptized right now doesn't mean that you're not a believer. You know, it's like so just because you know, and I think that's safe to say there. It's like, uh, yeah, I think if I continue talking, I will ramble. So... <laughs> <laughs> trying to make what I said sound better. But I think I said what I wanted to communicate. It sounded good. You look good. Well done. <laughs> well done. Um, now, one thing that I would add as well, and Justin touched on that with the paper, but um, just use it as an opportunity to engage with a child about faith matters uh, as far as like, who is Jesus Christ to you? And just let them talk see what they hear. Uh, why do you want to be baptized? Uh, because it's one of the downsides so to speak, of growing up in church, it's like you heard all the answers, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, you've been to classes, you've heard it, so they can give you the, the answer, And but just looking out to, you know, do you want to get baptized because you want to please mom and dad because you've heard that that's a thing that you got to do mm-hmm. and now you want to do it or, um, you know, social capital within church. All those things are good to to just ask, you know, uh, take it a step at a time, talk with a child, um, you know, assess where they're at. And, and then, yeah, I mean, there's a point that you think, well, I, I think this kid really has the right idea in mind. Okay, well, that can be um, you know, addressed with the elders. But I would say first, 
obviously just started with asking those questions. Was Jesus to you? What is baptized? Why do you why do you want to be baptized? And I was understanding that it's just not the the the, the act of baptism as well, but is baptized is baptism of Lord's Supper and church membership as well. Amen. You know, so the child can understand that this, this is a big huge. this is a big thing, you know, and I yeah. want us to think about it. Okay. Yeah, uh, go one comment yeah, just off yeah. of him that made me think, and it, and this is a perfect time to really start to associating all of these things, union with Christ, uh, membership into the church. Yes, this local church and the universal church. Like use this time to make baptism really, really important, you know, to your kids so that when they are baptized and when they think about their baptism, all of these things that we've said that I never grew up hearing, you know, came to this understanding, it will mean that for them. And so you then as you parent them, it's like, you know, you can keep reminding them to look to their baptism. And that would be awesome. If they understand baptism that yeah. way, is, I, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, aside from the general comments about, you know, use wisdom, be patient, all those things, uh, a few general comments about just, this is not me trying to just talk about parenting in general, but I do think pastorally, just thinking about children and, and how to navigate some of these things. I do think some Baptists, again, with the best of intentions, sort of overblow the Jonathan Edwards, like vipers and diapers thing where we almost create this sense in which it's us and them, you know, it's like us, the regenerate folk, and then our kids. Um, and I personally, for my own children, but also as a pastor of this congregation, I want it to very much be a situation where our children understand that they are being brought up into this and that this is something that like, I, I'm here and I do understand, as, I grow, as they grow in age, we're going to continue to teach them what baptism means and what this table means and all those kinds of things. And there's a reason, like this table is useful in that you're not coming to acquire these elements every Sunday and there's a reason for that. And we, and we need to talk about that. Um, but I want it to be an us thing and a we thing. And so like I know in my own home, we, have, we use we language about the things of God. Do I understand that all of my children are trusting Christ? No. But we pray. And I pray very simply. I, I, don't, I don't pray, for example, and I'm not saying that you have to do this. This is me just talking. I don't pray and say, Father, we pray that you would sustain the faith of mom and dad and that you would give faith to the kids. I pray, Father, we pray that we would all trust Christ. Like We pray that we would all believe in Jesus so that we might be rescued from our sins. That's what we do. I'm not saying you have to do that. But I'm, so I'm couching everything I'm about to say with that. I, I think you want to br bring your kids up into what we do in the church, anticipating them coming to faith, not presuming upon the Lord for it. But this, again, is where if the child, that, that context matters, right? Because if the child's being brought up that way, then that, that makes the conversation about baptism in the church easier to have, I think. Because it's not this antagonistic thing where, like, I'm assessing you, you know, uh, and I, as your father, am going to pronounce your regeneration or not. But it's like, no, we're, we want to be thoughtful about this. And like, I want to encourage my kids, if you're trusting Christ, you're, you're united to him. And, and he has atoned for your sin and given you righteousness and he'll raise you imperishable. And so let's talk about this. You say you believe in Jesus. What do you mean? Um, I ask my kids regularly, like, why, hey, why do we need Jesus? And just see what they say. And if they start giving a bunch of good answers, I take notice of that. And it's like, all right, let's talk more about that. You know, um, we talk about, We'll talk about the Lord's table. Like, do you guys know what that is? You know what that means? You know, things like that. I mean, try to have those sorts of conversations. And if I have a child that is, because my, my oldest two kids would profess faith in, in the Lord. Josiah will be eight 
um, the day after Christmas, Noel's going on seven. They both would absolutely tell you they believe in Jesus. And they both would tell, I mean, Josiah could give excellent answers as to we need him, you know, to, to die for our sins because we're sinners. We need him because he's perfect and we're not and all that. And we need him so that we'll be raised from the dead. He can say all that. And is he a Christian? I don't know. I encourage him in his faith. And then as we, as he grows older, we'll talk more pointedly about baptism and membership. Um, how old will that be? I don't know. He has not pointedly. Noel has. Noel has. Right. 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 Noel is the more of the, you know, constitutions of kids matter. You got to know your kids. Because like Josiah is a sweeter, I mean, this is terrible that I'm like doing all this right now. <laughs> Josiah is a, is kind of a sweeter, like just more mild child when it comes to these things. He's not the kind that would say, well, I want to do that. He's gonna, like, so the first time he says that it will be noteworthy. Whereas with Noel, she is just all about, I want to do this because it's just, it's there and I want to do it. Well, why can't I do that? That's her posture. So in that sense, I'm like, well, yeah, she's talked about it a number of times, and we talk about it each time she does. And again, when she gives better answers, we'll start having conversations. You know, so there is inevitably, you know, a burden put on parents to try to discern what's going on with their kids. And then, as a parent is engaging in this, use the pastors. Come to us. We'll meet with you and your children happily, and we'll ask these questions. You know, and we'll tell mom and dad and the child, like, let's keep talking about this. You know, keep. You keep trusting Christ and let's keep talking about this. We've had a number of those conversations, you know, over the years. You know, um, I don't know if any of that's helpful, Chelsea, but that's, those are a few thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, friends? Don't want to keep you here longer than you want or need to be, but also want to serve you well. Jenny and then Deb, sure. So there are some who, in a more sacerdotal perspective, meaning that the sacraments operate in and of themselves, will say that that what means what it says, that baptism saves people, uh, or that you're regenerated by baptism. The Reformed, through history, of which we would count ourselves the number, we understand that what's being communicated there is that what baptism is significant of is the marrow of salvation, right? It's the union with Christ's peace. It's the remission of sins. It's all of those things. Because there's language of, about baptism that it is like be baptized, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, right? This is about the remission of your sins. Um, and so we understand that language in a similar way. Only, it, only in the Lord Jesus is that, does that occur by faith. And baptism is the sign given you know, in light of that reality. So that's the, that's the short answer. At some point, I'll preach through First Peter, and we'll deal with that in more length then. Thoughts from you guys on that? Yeah, I think it's just um, sometimes we get tunnel vision on certain baptism verses, and it's like it says it right there. And then it's also like, uh, well, you know, how can I enter into the kingdom? And it's like, well, the wind blows, and no one knows where it goes. No right. one sees it, and all of a sudden you believe, you know. So we, it's like almost we get a little bit, of tunnel vision and we forget about regeneration, the work of the spirit in the heart. When we see a verse like, Oh, baptism now saves you. And it's like, so, so which is which? And I think, you know, 
this is why it matters to know the scriptures, to have frameworks, to understand that in light of redemptive history and what the Exodus points to is is Christ and what Peter's talking about. And even the flood and being brought safely through water. I mean, I was having a conversation. The flood, yeah, not. Having a conversation right after service about this. We were talking about water and in light of the Exodus and everything. And this has always been a pattern with God's people where like water is representative of judgment. And to be brought safely through the waters of judgment only occurs in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the waters in one sense, even a baptism, I mean, it represents our death. You know, un, un, like our, we, we die to the law and we are raised via our union with Christ and him. Right. And so one of the things I would say inevitably, too, about First Peter three is you can't take that verse in a vacuum, of course, you need to look at everything else that the scriptures clearly communicate. And I would contend that the unashamed drumbeat of the baptism passages is union with Jesus. Has everything to do, that's why we say it. baptism is about union with Jesus. And so I think any understanding of baptism apart from union with Christ is in error. And then one has to ask, if we're not united to Christ by faith, then how are we united to him? Right? Are we united to him by sacrament? Because if you say that, then you're a sacerdotalist who no longer believes that God apparently works directly on the heart, which actually puts you outside of the tradition of Protestant orthodoxy in that regard. Yeah. And I'm trying to get overly technical, but... Yeah, I would just recommend the book you just gave me, Tim Chester, Truth We Can Touch. Helpful. Like, I'm only 40 pages in. Truth We Can Touch, yep. It's already addressed that. Um, It's a great book. It is. Yeah, so, yeah, plug. Tim Chester is the author. Book title, Truth We Can Touch. Truth we can touch. Excellent on the sacraments in general, but yeah. Yeah, like, I was just about to make the comment too of, um, again, what is baptism? It, it is a sign. And mm-hmm. so the, the important thing is to is what it represents, uh, mm-hmm. not what it does. God does the doing, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he's done that, and the church is back giving you the sign. Yeah. So when you look back to that, it's like you're looking back to salvation, that you have died with Christ and you are raised to walk with newness in life. Mm. But again, we don't see regeneration, but we have seen and can remember our Amen. baptism. And so in that way, it is a gift from God to us, lest yeah. we you know, forget what salvation was like. It's like, this is what the Lord did to you. Yeah. You know, this or, is what happened. Or when I don't feel like I've been united to Christ, remember your baptism. You have been, right? Like that's a significant thing. Yeah. Rob, any thoughts on any of these matters? Nothing to add. Right. Deb, you had a question? <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> so the mode of baptism, yeah, sprinkling, immersion, pouring, etc. We immerse here at CBC. We understand that to be the clear teaching of the New Testament, the clear pattern in the New Testament. Nobody actually disputes that that's the New Testament pattern. Um, anybody who sprinkles or pours does that out of expediency or prudence, not because of a biblical argument. Many Christians think there's latitude in terms of the mode itself, you know, and I would, I would absolutely say that the subject of baptism, who's being baptized is the most important conversation. But then our answer on that is like, well, if we can immerse somebody, we want to do what the the new Testament clearly reveals. And it is a better picture of what has occurred. I understand there are verses in the old Testament about having clean water sprinkled on us and all those kinds of things, cleansings. I get that, but the immersion in baptism has that and then also is a beautiful picture of being buried with Christ and dying in Christ to the law and being raised to newness of life in Jesus and being united to him, not only in his life and death, but also in his resurrection. So we immerse here. Yeah. And that's really not up for debate. And even before we had a, we have a big basin now that we use in here, but we used to go to the French Broad River and like, you got to want to do that in the cooler months. So to say the least. 
pastor and baptismal candidate. He's got to want to do that. Invest in a little wetsuit. Yeah. Other, any other thoughts or comments, questions? This has been good, good questions, thoughtful questions. Please. Yeah, our position paper, Tim Chester's book are, is great. Other things are going to be more of a, I mean, the, the confession, the 1689 London Baptist Confession's got a great chapter on baptism and on the Lord's table for that matter. Really good. Other than that, it's going to be larger resources, um, more like systematic theologies and things that I could potentially recommend. But I'd say start with those. I, I think the the low-hanging fruit that I would recommend, Tim Chester, Truth We Can Touch, our position paper, and then also the uh, London Baptist Confession. Other things that pop into your brains? Anybody, anybody else out there thinking of a great resource on this that I'm just blanking on right now? Okay. Any, anything come to y'all's minds? Yeah, start with those, though. I think that's a good... Good. Cool. Anything else? And come talk to us too. So if you have questions, talk with us and we'll happily engage on any of it. All right. Excellent. Rob, you've got a microphone in your hand. Of course, we all got them on. Why don't you pray for us? Dear God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sign of baptism that points us to what you have done for us and in us, Lord. And we thank you for that. Thank you for that assurance. And may we always um, continue to to look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, dismiss us in peace today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Much love.